The Rural Health Voice, Episode 12, Health Literacy. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Do you understand all of the information your doctor gives you? Are you sure? Dr. Aaron Cruz, Associate Professor at Radford University School of Nursing, joined me to discuss this unique barrier to healthcare access. Well, greetings, Aaron. Hi, Beth. So, so tell me, what is health literacy? Well, health literacy is related to literacy in general, and literacy has to do with people's ability to read and write, and of course, in this country, it's in English, Um, but it also has to do with people's ability to uh, compute mathematical equations, to solve problems, and generally function in their job or in society. And I think a lot of people don't think about literacy in that way. They think about it as more reading and writing. So it involves a lot of complex um, thinking and and comprehension. The um, difference with health literacy is that it has to do with people's um, ability to gain information about their health or about health care process that information and make decisions based on their health information. Things like being able to understand a prescription bottle or their written physician instructions or even appointment slips. And in this country, uh, research has shown that only about 12% of all adults have those skills to navigate the healthcare system. So, Okay, so 12%. So we're saying out of, you know, the average 100 people that pop into a doctor's office on a given day, only 12 of those people can fully understand the information they're given from the doctor. Right. That's a scary statistic when you think about, you know, the various, you know, make sure you do this or don't do that, or this needs to be done three times a day, or that has to be done, you know, only in these situations. 12% seems like a pretty low number. Well, when you think about it, um, not that many people have a medical background and healthcare is becoming more and more complex and high tech. And healthcare providers kind of talk in our, we talk in our own language almost. And so, and we also write in our own language. We have specific abbreviations. And sometimes we get caught up in that. We're so used to it in speaking with each other or in writing on a patient's chart that we forget that we're talking to someone who doesn't have that same experience and education that we have. And so people don't understand, and yet they realize they don't understand sometimes, but they're embarrassed about it, and they don't want to ask questions or seem unintelligent because they don't understand. Sure. As a society in general, we don't like 
admitting that we need help. We don't like admitting that we don't know something. So I think, you know, if, if you know, in a, a situation in a medical office can be a little intimidating anyway. You know, if I'm sitting there in my paper gown, I don't want you <laughs> sticking around any longer than absolutely necessary, much less say, hey, what on earth did you just say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's uh, there's a really good video that if people have time, they can look on the American Medical Association website. And it's um, getting a little older now, but it it they interviewed people from all walks of life, people, you know, from uh, crafts people, uh, lower education levels up to people like a pharmacy tech and a person with a master's degree in English. And all of those people had had major problems with their ability to read or understand uh, healthcare. And for some of them, it had caused them serious complications. Great. And we can absolutely put a link to that video in the show notes for people to review. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about health literacy. Can you, can you give us like a, a story or an example about how maybe doctor said one thing or nurse said one thing and, and the patient didn't understand it? What, what could potentially go wrong in that situation? Well, um, one example that happens quite a bit is the doctor writes an order for a medication and says that, that the patient needs to take this medication four times a day and usually writes up milligrams of amount of medication that the person's supposed to take. The person takes that to the pharmacy. They Maybe they don't have that number of milligrams in stock, so they have to give you two pills to make up one dose. So right there, you have to compute two pills four times a day. You also have to understand when they say four times a day, what does that mean? Could you take it breakfast, lunch, dinner, and bedtime? Could you? Do you need to get up in the middle of the night and take it? Do you need to take it so that it's spread out more over the 24-hour period? Uh, that gets very confusing for people as well. And if it's a medication, for example, there's uh, there are different types of heart medications. One uh, that I'm aware of is called Ticacin. It's used for atrial fibrillation. Well, a lot of older people particularly have atrial fibrillation where the heart doesn't pump efficiently and it pumps too fast. And this medication regulates their heartbeat. But if they miss even one dose, if they don't store it between 40 degrees and 80 degrees, so maybe they know they're going to be gone uh, for the day and they might not get home at the right time to take it, they put it in the car and they forget about it being in the car and it gets to be 100 degrees, breaks down the medication. So um, they have to take it exactly 12 hours apart. If you take it too soon, it can stop your heart. <laughs> if you don't take it soon enough, you go back into atrial fibrillation. That That's really, really complicated, even for a college-educated person. So if you don't read that well, it makes it even worse. So are there specific concerns in rural communities regarding health literacy? Is it somehow different in small town America than it is in our urban centers? 
Well, uh, we do know that in rural areas there is uh, there are higher rates of low literacy, and health literacy can follow from that. There also are higher numbers of older people in most rural areas, and the older people tend to have low health literacy for various reasons. They may have poor eyesight, so they have difficulty reading the instructions from the doctor or on the prescription bottle. They may um, have poor hearing, so they misunderstand what the medical person is telling them. Uh, They may have financial limitations because um, uh, many don't have the policies through Medicare that cover medication, and so they can't afford their medication and don't understand how critical it is that they find resources to take that. Uh, Another part of health literacy is also accessing medication. And if anyone has ever tried to get, for example, an appointment with a specialist or schedule a medical procedure, it takes sometimes a lot of phone calls and a lot of talking to different people and being passed around between different people. And that can be really overwhelming, particularly for older adults. So all of those things combined with that rural nature where there may not be the providers that you need for a specialty uh, in that rural community, and you might have to drive to some unfamiliar place, find your way around in a big medical center, it, it puts a really heavy burden on rural residents and particularly those older adults. So with that, how can we address health literacy without talking down to patients? Like I can see that, you know, maybe the assumptions there that this person is ignorant because they don't understand what the doctor is saying. Yes. And in my nursing classes, we teach uh, our student nurses how to assess written information and also what kind of cues to look for that a patient might not be able to read or might be struggling with understanding health information. And so in uh, one case, they were doing a an education project at a homeless shelter, and they knew that people who are low income tend to have higher uh, issues with health literacy, more issues with health literacy. And so they wrote a pamphlet and they wrote it at about a third or fourth grade reading level. Well, I got a call from the center's director saying, this is, this is infantile and these people are not stupid (laughs) and that they're trying to educate and they need to think more about ways that they could educate them without talking down to them. So a lot of times it has to be verbal education with people with low health literacy. If you are in any sort of situation where you're even a family member of a of a person who has trouble with reading or has vision or hearing limitations, just be alert to the fact that they may not understand what's being said, or if they don't have a lot of medical background and it's something fairly complicated. Um, My stepfather recently passed away, and I happened to be there when the hospice doctor came in to talk to him about his prognosis, and the doctor was in there for about 20 minutes, 
and he left. And my stepfather had a master's degree in languages. And he, he told me, he said, what in the world did he just say to me? So, <laughs> so you, you know, as a family member, if you could be there, even if you don't have that high of health literacy, if you could just be there to help interpret or help the person that is needing medical attention to advocate for themselves, you know, I don't think he understood what you were just saying. Could you explain it to me a little more simply? Uh, one thing that the American Medical Association says is always use living room language. So try to explain things in terminology that's understandable and also in, in terms that maybe relate to what that person does for a living and what their experience is. So you could maybe say if a person has experience with um, construction and they have uh, noted that maybe the door to the office is creaky, well, they've got arthritis. You could say, well, arthritis works a lot like that creaky door. As the tissues break down in the joint, you start to have rubbing of the joint and it becomes painful just like you have when a door needs oiling. You have that squeaking and rubbing. So trying to make it something where they can visualize and understand what is going on with their body. Pictures help a lot. Uh, a lot of times the the medical staff or office staff will take a calendar and tape one of the patient's pills so they can see what color it is and what shape if they can't read well, and they'll tape the pill by the calendar, you know, where they're supposed to take it and they can see, okay, this is this pill and I have to take it at nine o'clock every morning. Um, pill boxes are a big help if family members or medical providers can set those up for patients with the times and dates uh, or days of the week. Those are other things they can do. I like the term living room language, you know, because most of us, when we talk to each other, don't say, well, you know, my cousin suffered a myocardial infarction. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it, my cousin had a heart attack. Those mm -hmm. are the, the everyday terms that we use. And it, it seems, you know, almost like you're causing extra barriers by using the medical terminology, you know, even though obviously the providers use those with each other, Mm -hmm. You know, finding a way to encourage them to to use that everyday living room language and and with patients. Mm -hmm. So, so you you talked about the one project the nursing students were doing. What are some other things that, that you teach them on and trying to help understand literacy issues? Well, one thing is to uh, we try to teach them to be alert to things that might indicate that the patient is having trouble understanding or processing information. So if a patient is um, taking a really long time to fill out a form, more than most people do, that would be a possibility that they're having trouble reading it or understanding it. And uh, the nurse or whoever, the receptionist, if it's in an office, could say, um, I see that maybe you have some questions about the form. How can I help you with that? Or is there any are there any questions I can answer for you? 
uh, to have that helping attitude rather than say, look, you're taking an awful long time to fill out this form. Um, you just want me to do it for you. You know, you don't need to have that kind of tone or attitude toward the patients. You need to let them know you're there to help. Sometimes they get embarrassed and the patient will actually become belligerent and you can't figure out why they're mad and they'll storm out of the office. And sometimes that's an indication that they are overwhelmed and they don't understand what's going on. The other thing is um, we teach them to break things down into small chunks, if at all possible. Do a small amount of teaching, just a few minutes. Pick, use pictures if you need to. Large font if you're using written um, things, particularly, again, with older people or people with limited vision. And uh, don't have a lot of crowded letters or busy um, pictures. The pictures should be meaningful and relate to the written information that you're using. So we tell students to be alert to those kinds of things and to take it slow in, in a way and ask the the patient um not questions like, do you understand? But so if you had to explain this to your friend or your mother uh, or your children, what would you tell them uh, so I can make sure that you understand enough to safely take this medication? So those are the kind of things we tell them. Sometimes people, too, will they'll start kind of rubbing their head or rubbing their eyes or they'll say, oh, I don't really feel up to filling that out today, or I forgot my glasses, I really can't read that. Those can also be clues that they're having trouble understanding. Right. I remember when I worked for a county health department, I was amazed at how many people forgot their glasses. <laughs> Nobody could ever fill out the forms because they forgot their glasses. And it finally occurred to me that people wanted to take the forms home with them mm -hmm. so they could get somebody else to read them for them, which you know, it is really sad that they didn't feel comfortable speaking up. I think that says a lot about our society. Mm -hmm. So what steps can healthcare providers take to better communicate with their patients? Well, I think one thing is that we need to slow down. We need to really pay attention. And unfortunately, in medicine today, uh, providers are scheduled to see, you know, four, five, six patients an hour. And so they don't have a lot of time. But they could educate their staff, their medical assistants, nurses, office staff, to be more alert and slow down enough to see if the patient is having problems. Uh, also, people who miss appointments or don't renew their medications on time, it could be they don't understand or that they can't read or that they can't afford their medication. And there should be someone in the office or in that practice that could follow up with the patient and see if they can help them. Uh, we also encourage them to look at the patient's uh, demographic information. Most people fill out a form that says, when was the last grade you attended in school? And most adults read three to four grade levels below their last grade in school. So that would be a good sign that perhaps someone even if they finished high school, they may only read on an eighth or ninth grade reading level. And we need to uh, 
construct our health information to accommodate that lower level of, of understanding. Now, earlier in the podcast, you mentioned that, you know, in the United States, we're using English, but of course, we have a significant migrant population, Mm -hmm. um, even our rural communities, and we have all sorts of languages being spoken. Um, You know, I think people tend to think Spanish more often, but there's, you know, many, many other languages. How does that complicate the health literacy issue? It certainly does um, have an effect because obviously if English is not your first language, then it's going to take you longer. If you speak or read or write in English at all, it may take you longer unless you've been in this country for a long time. And some people who have been in this country for a long time may mainly speak their native language with their family and friends, and so they don't use English. They don't read in English. Uh, There are low-literacy Spanish materials available uh, from various sources, a lot of the medical and health information sources, and some of the uh, Governor's Association information that you can go to the Governor's website and look. They have translations of some things, but it's it's very, very difficult. And in those cases, we really need to try to get an interpreter, pre- pre- uh, preferably someone who has experience in interpreting uh, health information. But sometimes you do have to rely on a family member. That's not ideal. It's not really ethical, considered ethical in healthcare. But if that's the only person and you have an emergency or an urgent situation, that may be your only choice. And I've read about situations where you, know, because they have to rely on a family member, often that family member who's interpreting for them is, is their own child because the child may have been born in the States, you know, grew up with the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a situation where a child is giving adult medical information does not seem ideal to me. It, it's definitely not, and and sometimes the child, either out of you know respect for their parent, they won't sometimes interpret things in a, in the way they should be, or if it's a um, a per- really intimate or personal situation, they might also not feel comfortable talking about that to their parent, or the parent may not want them to talk about it. Um, you also run into situations with. Um, even other adults, I, I was a public health nurse for a long time, and we had a lot of Hispanic or uh, Central American patients, and they may speak a dialect that is not straight Castilian Spanish or European Spanish. And so even we had a nurse in our office that spoke Spanish, but she could not communicate with some of these patients. And if they're coming in for something like a sexually transmitted disease and to have a friend or family member have to interpret for them is very, very humiliating for them. Very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I also think this goes back to the concept of, of living room language. You know, just because you have lived in this country for 50 years and are your English is very good, we're still back to that's going to be an emphasis on conversational English and 
doesn't necessarily mean that you know the medical terms that we throw around all the time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's it's very, very challenging. Uh, there, I've even had situations again as a public health nurse where we had um, we've had a situation where we suspected a wife was being abused and she didn't speak English and the husband was the interpreter. And that, that was a very, very difficult situation. We were really lucky that we did have uh, a person on our staff who spoke the language that, that they spoke and was able to convince the husband to step out and, um, and figure out what was going on. But it, that also can be, a challenging situation. If someone doesn't speak English, they may not be able to communicate if they're in trouble. Are there tools available to healthcare providers to address health literacy? There are. Um, there are lots of instruments or or processes that are available to assess materials. Most healthcare information companies, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, have realized that health literacy is a big issue in the country. And so they're they've tended to have more patient materials available, like even if the insert that comes with your package is still written in chemicalese or medicalese, you can go on to the pharmaceutical company website and get a lower literacy uh, materials to give out with that. The CDC materials usually tend to be below eighth grade reading level. And uh, for the general public, it's recommended that it's no higher than eighth grade. And a lot of uh, experts say even sixth grade. But there are certain very easy processes of assessment that you can do on something if that's all you have to hand out. And the other thing you can do is if you are writing health information, there is a uh, literacy assessment part of the Word, Microsoft Word software. If you do the spelling and grammar check, once it gets through the document, it will give you something called the Flesh-Kincaid Readability Statistic. And that's another very easy way to tell if something you've written is too high of a reading level. Now, that was the, the healthcare provider side. If, if people, if individuals are concerned about their ability to understand what the doctor's telling them, what can they do? Well, it's always good to take another person with you if you're not embarrassed by whatever's going on. A, a family member is fine or a friend that you trust uh, to help you make sure that you are hearing the same things. Sometimes, especially when you're sick, you, you don't feel strong. You feel vulnerable. And having that other person there to advocate for you, not in a confrontational way, that's not what I'm saying at all, but to say, you know, I'm not sure she really understood that, or I I didn't understand that, and I'm going to be helping her at home. Could you explain it in a way that, that we could understand it a little better? Uh, you could also say back to the, the doctor or the nurse or nurse practitioner, this is what I think you're saying to me. And tell them what you understand. And that gives them the opportunity to correct any misunderstandings. 
Pharmacists are a wonderful resource, and they're in most rural communities. Even sometimes you don't have a hospital or a doctor there. You have a pharmacy. And they are very highly educated, but they're also very consumer-oriented. And they are great to explain things to you. And even as a nurse with nearly 40 years of experience, I rely on the pharmacist very much to help me and my family when we're not sure about how to take a medication or how to store it or even whether it will interact with other medications or foods that we are taking. What if you're the friend or family member? What if you were concerned about maybe a parent or a neighbor or somebody in your church? I mean, obviously you don't, you don't want to be a busybody, but if there's a situation where you can step in and help, what, what could that person do? Um, they could ask questions, uh, for example, being alert to those same types of cues that the, we teach our nursing students to be alert to someone who seems to be missing doses of medication or they're not feeling well or they just say, I'm not really sure I understand what that doctor told me to do. Just offer to help. Um, and again, not in a way that you're putting someone down, but just say, yeah, medical care is really complicated. Sometimes it helps me if I talk to my pharmacist or talk to the nurse to make sure that uh, I'm understanding things correctly or see if they could explain it in a better way to me. Or they could offer to help find that information or go with them to appointments. And if you could do anything, and we don't have to limit this to health literacy, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? Wow. <laughs> um, well, I would certainly have um, providers in all areas of rural America. I think there need they need to keep open the small hospitals that are sadly closing because they are such a resource for people who um, don't have transportation. Uh, public transportation is is a huge component. Affordable and easy to get to public transportation is a huge component of healthcare, in my opinion, and something that in my work, you know, as a nurse and a public health nurse and a school nurse, it was just a major barrier to patients getting to the health care that they needed. And of course, I'm a big proponent of a national health care system because I saw so many times people having to make the choice between their food, their rent, and their medical care. And I don't think in a country as wealthy as the United States that that should ever be happening. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. That's Dr. Cruz of Radford University, encouraging healthcare providers to use living room language and reminding all of us to speak up if we don't understand medical information. Dr. Cruz is also a board member for the Virginia Rural Health Association. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, you can join VRHA to receive our weekly electronic newsletter and other important information. Visit vrha.org and click the membership tab for details. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.